This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. I'm Claire, one of uh, the co-lead pastors here, if I haven't yet met you. So I wonder, um, have you ever been misrepresented in some way? Like someone has misquoted you or thinks something about you that you really know is simply not true. How does that make you feel? Hurt? Angry? Sad? Owen will tell you that if I am in an argument (laughs) or a disagreement with him or one of our kids, and hopefully it doesn't happen too often, but um, if someone suggests that I am lying, like they say, (laughs) you know, like they say, oh, um, oh, that didn't happen, or I don't believe you, then that is a real trigger for me. It really gets me. And, um, you know, as I, was, as I was reflecting on that, why is that as I was preparing for this talk, you know, is that because of some deep trauma or thing I need therapy for or something? But, you know, as I reflected on it, I think it's because for someone um, that I love to misunderstand me in that way, it, it calls into question my love for them if I would lie to them. It, uh, it actually breaks down trust and it affects our relationship. And I think that's why it gets me. It's not that if someone else was to accuse me of being, it's not about that, it's actually they think I would lie to them. That's why it gets me. You know, what we think about people or how they think about us affects how we relate to each other. It either nourishes or diminishes the relationship we have. Let me give you another example that I'm sure you're all familiar with the recent tragic post office scandal that's just happened. But um, I read an article the other day, and you might have read it yourself, but it was about a young man who, on his 10th birthday, um, his parents had driven him to school, dropped him off, and said to him that they would be back at the end of the day to collect him and celebrate his birthday with him. And um, at the end of the day, that didn't happen. His mum didn't come. And he was told that his mum had had to go to a special hospital um, because she was pregnant with her second child. And um, she stayed there for nearly five months. And, you know, from that day, that boy, he held a grudge against his mum. He hated his mum that she had so abruptly abandoned him on his birthday. And it was only when he was about 18 years old that his mum told him that, in fact, she had been falsely accused as a postmistress of stealing money from the post office, and she'd actually gone to prison. And his mum and dad had not told him the truth in order to protect him. And he remembers that from the age of 10, how everything changed. His um, whole, all his friends, nobody wanted to hang out with him. And his family had been ostracized by the community. His dad had got beaten up. And it's this tragic story, and sadly, as we know, not an isolated one. But it demonstrates to us that regardless of what the truth might be, what we think matters when it comes to relationship. What we think of others and what they think of us will affect how we relate. And it's exactly the same with God and how each of us relate to him. Whatever the truth might be, what we think about God, what he's like, his character and his nature will either nourish or diminish 
our relationship with him. That's why I'm so passionate about this series that I've been doing that I've been, that's called What is God Like? We've looked at things like, is God angry? Is God controlling? Is God good? You know, these things really matter because they affect how we relate to God and subsequently they affect how we relate to each other and our world. They matter for us, but they also matter for our friends and our family and our neighbours who may not have a healthy relationship with God. You know, why is that? What is it that they are believing about him that is causing that to be the case? But today, with that as the backdrop, I wanted us to take a little interlude and have a look at what the Bible actually has to say about our relationship with God. So what our relationship with God can look like and what that means for us. Fab. So, so as we come to look at the Bible, there are a number of big themes, key subjects that get, that get introduced very early on in the biblical story and run all the way through right to the end. These big themes are always there behind each of the events and stories, whether they are mentioned explicitly or not. And when we're looking at the Bible, the guidance for our lives, rather than picking out verses here and there and stringing them together and saying, well, the Bible says this, quote a verse, rather than that, to really understand who God is, what is like, what's important to him, we need to look at the big themes that run all the way through from beginning to end. Where we see big themes occurring, we know they're important. And amongst many others, one of those big themes in the Bible is relationship with God. We see it running right from the very beginning in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, right through to the very last book in the Bible of Revelation. Now, before we jump in to Genesis, it's good to remind ourselves that Genesis is not an, a scientific account of creation. It was not written to explain how things were made like a scientific textbook might do. No, Genesis is a theological account of creation. It's written to explain why things were made and who made them. It was written to tell us who God is and who we are, how God relates to us and how we relate to him. It's a relational story, not a manufacturing story. Genesis makes it clear that the creation of humanity is the high point in God's creative work. After each of the first five days of creating, it says, God saw that it was good. But the end, by the end of the sixth day, after making people, it says that God saw everything he made and it was very good. It's only when human beings are created that a good creation becomes a very good creation. And we see in Genesis that there's a clear and intentional distinction between humans and animals. Scientists have discovered that 99% of our DNA is shared with chimpanzees. But as the popular science magazine Scientific American said, that tiny portion of unshared DNA makes the world of difference. And could that world of difference be the image of God, as Genesis describes it. Genesis 1, verse 27 says, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, 
He created them. Now, although Genesis doesn't give us any real detail about what exactly it means by the image of God, certain things seem, seem to be clear in the story. And we could sum those up with three words, each beginning with the letter R. I'm just going to go through those three things. So first R, being made in the image of God, we were made with a capacity to relate to God. If we look back to the beginning in Genesis, we see the image of how that divine human relationship was always designed to be. We see God pictured walking in the garden with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. We see God conversing with them. We see face-to-face intimacy with God personally present. Even after Adam and Eve's failure, we see God personally making clothes for them to cover their shame. The idea that God can't look upon sin is completely missing from this picture. There's no indication that he had to look away and cover his eyes as soon as there was sin around. And then if we look forward to the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see again an image of the future when Jesus returns, of the new creation of heaven and earth, which we tend to call heaven for short. And we see how that relationship is destined to be. Revelation 21 says, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his God, they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And in both passages, we can sum up what they're picturing as knowing God personally, face to face, and the fruit that comes from that. Being made by God in his image, we have an invitation to be in intimate relationship with him. But it's more than just that. There's a natural carry on from that. Quoting from Steve Bernhope, a pastor and theologian, he says, we have an invitation to be in right relationship with God, a calling to be in right relationship with the people God has made, and a mandate to be in right relationship with the world God made and loves. Being in right relationship with other people in our world is the only natural consequence of being in right or restored relationship with God. And the story of the Bible is a story of how that That invitation, that calling, and that mandate works out with its ups and downs and successes and failures along the way. People getting it at times and not getting it at other times. After the Garden of Eden, we see the gap in the relationship between God and humanity widen as the people repeatedly choose to go their own way. We see God appear and speak but it does not resemble the intimate face-to-face relationship we see pictured in Genesis. As the Old Testament progresses, there are less and less stories of people conversing with God face-to-face, like the Garden of Eden portrays. And instead, we hear of God speaking and appearing through visions and dreams and through intermediaries, intermediaries and imagery, like the bush on fire that doesn't burn out or the pillar of cloud or the pillar of fire. We read that God was thought to be present with his people in the temple, but in the innermost and most sacred area known as the Holy of Holies, symbolically separated from his people by the curtain veil, 
Only the high priest was allowed to go beyond the veil, and even that once a year. The veil was believed to symbolize the boundary between heaven and earth, and the separation between God and people because of sin. The literal, literal meaning of the word atonement, so, or at one moment, if you break it down, is how God in Jesus enabled us to be made at one with God relationally. Before it's ever a legal concept about rules and laws, it's a relational one. In the Garden of Eden, God did not start with a set of rules and laws. He started with relationship. He's not a legalistic God. It was only many years later when the Israelites had been freed from years of slavery under the Egyptians, where they had been subject to a regime and way of life placed upon them, that then God gave them guidelines, the law, in order to help them to know how to order themselves and to live as a healthy community. This was new to them. At its heart, the gospel is not about broken law that needs punishment, but broken relationship that needs restoration. Which is why, at the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, we see the curtain veil in the temple being torn in two from top to bottom, symbolising the direct access humanity can have to God and the restoration of that relationship. So we see in Genesis the way that our relationship with God was intended to be, intimate, personal. And we see in Revelation the hope of the way that our relationship with God will be in its fullness when Jesus returns. And we see in the in-between stages all that goes on with the ups and downs and with the pinnacle being Jesus coming, that through him we have this restored relationship with God. So that's relating to God. Reflect, oh sorry, the second R, as a result of being made in God's image, is that we have the capacity to reflect God. Now, by reflecting God, I don't mean looking like him physically, but being a reflection of who God is in his character and nature. The image of God means that we have a spiritual as well as a physical dimension to our lives. We are made with the capacity to engage with the supernatural world and a supernatural God as well as a natural world. And that is not to say that the spiritual part of us is separate from the physical, that one day our spirits will leave our bodies behind. We see in Jesus' resurrected body, although he was reported to have walked through walls, he also ate and drank and had a body that can be touched. We are one integrated, indivisible person of body, soul and spirit. We are naturally spiritual and spiritually natural, which the Bible reflects. John 4 tells us that God is spirit. So as people made in his image, we can operate in spiritual gifts through the Holy Spirit's anointing like healing and prophetic words of encouragement, speaking in tongues, which is a spiritual language we can use to communicate our deepest longings to God. 
we can communicate through prayer with a God who dwells in the spiritual realm. We can worship in spirit, the Bible tells us, with our whole beings, not just our minds and body. As well as this, if we are made in God's image, it would follow that the essence of who he is, is our essence too. It's like his DNA is within us. Um, I'm not suggesting that the things that make God God, like his omniscience or his omnipotence or omnipresence and all those long words that are difficult to pronounce, um, I'm not suggesting that we are like little gods. But with regards to his character and his nature, it's like we have his DNA within us. So if God in his essence, if God in his essence is love, then we have the capacity to love like he does. It's in our DNA. If God is generous by nature, then we have the capacity to be generous too. It's in our DNA. If God is forgiving, then we have that within us also. If God is creative, those seeds of creativity are within each of us also, and so on and so on. Now, sometimes we may feel pressure to be a better person. We may feel like we need to be more loving, more kind, more loyal, more courageous. And we beat ourselves up feeling like we're not quite good enough. Or we compare ourselves to someone else and we go, well, they're a good person or they control their temper or they're more gracious than me. Maybe we give ourselves a guilt trip and we believe that we are rubbish, that we're broken, that we're sinful, that we're bad. But the truth is, if we are made in God's image, we are not any of those negative things. We might do those things, don't get me wrong. But it's not who we are in our essence. Who we are, we are good. Remember the creation story in Genesis. We are very good. We have the capacity within us for all the wonderful characteristics of God. It's in our DNA. If we want to grow in any characteristic, my suggestion is to start practicing and you'll see it grow within you. Now, I'm a physio. When I'm not doing church stuff, I'm a physio. And part of my job is to encourage people to strengthen their muscles. They'll never strengthen their muscles by wishing their muscles were strong or thinking about the gym. They've got to actually do it. But it doesn't take long. If you start small and often, it's amazing how quickly our bodies adapt and develop. And it's the same thing here. If you want to be more generous, start practicing giving a little away and let it build in you. If you want to be more patient, start training yourself with small things like choosing the long queue in the supermarket. If you want to be more gracious, start with something you can manage like choosing to think the best and build up. It's within you. God has put these wonderful things within you and he's a brilliant personal trainer. He'll help you. My invitation to you this week is to start each day with looking in the mirror and pick three aspects of God's character, knowing that you are made in his image and tell yourself you are those things. So you may say to yourself, I am loving I am generous. 
I am forgiving. Or whatever aspects of God's character you want to choose and start living into and believing you are the person that you are. And then our third and final R word is that we have the capacity to represent God. The Latin for image of God is the imago Dei. That's a term the theologians use, but another, there's another term which is the imitatio Dei. Our calling to imitate God to each other and the world around us. Not in the sense of impersonating him or pretending to be him, but doing the things that he would do because we love the things that he loves. The point of being the Imago Dei is that we would also become the Imitatio Dei. In Ephesians 2.10, the Imago Dei and the Imitatio Dei come together. It says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if we find this concept of imitating or representing God a little daunting, remember Jesus came to show us how to do it. Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus Jesus had to be made like us, fully human in every way, apart from sin, of course. So everything that is part of our human experience, other than sin, was part of Jesus' too. So Jesus had to live, live by faith and not by sight. He couldn't see God, just like us. He had to experience real temptation. He had to make choices to do what's right. He had to hear from God and choose to trust God despite fear and even doubt. When Jesus did miraculous things, he didn't do them because he was God. He did them as a human by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus showed us so much of what it is to be human, relating to, reflecting and representing God. He stood up for injustice. He taught us how to forgive and not judge. He hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors and those on the fringes. And he loved a good party. When Jesus was asked, which is the most important commandment? He had 613 he could have chosen from. He could have said, obey the Lord your God. Or serve the Lord your God. Or even fear the Lord your God. But he didn't. He chose, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And although he was only asked for one, he couldn't resist adding another one. Love your neighbour as yourself. The reason he chose those? Because God is a relational God. His ultimate goal is for restored relationship with us and that we would be in restored relationship with each other and our world. So to finish with, I'd like us just to take a moment to consider some of the aspects of God's character and nature. And I've asked Byrne to put these on the screen. And he's going to put some music on in the background as well. And I just want to take us through a short reflection, just connecting with God on some of this. And 
to begin with, I just want to invite you to ask the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to one of those words. So take a moment just to have a look at those words, consider them, and just ask the Holy Spirit to draw your attention to one of those. And then I'll take us from there. I'll give you a moment. Okay, so now having been drawn to one of those words, or if you're not too sure, just pick one. It's fine, just pick one. You might like to just close your eyes now. And I'd like to invite you to spend a few minutes just thanking God for, in the, for the ways in which you have seen or experienced Him in this way. It may be that you've read stories about Him being like this in the Bible and stories come to mind. It may be that you've experienced Him personally in your own life. Or it may be that you've seen this character trait in someone else who is reflecting who he is. So just I'm going to give you two or three minutes. Just thank God. And just if you can't think of things, just ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of where he's been like this. Just take this time, you and him, to thank him.
thank you, God, that you are all these wonderful things and you have made us each in your own image. Thank you that you place the seeds of your DNA, your character and your nature within each one of us. And just as we're connected with God now, right now we've reminded ourselves and we've thanked him for that character trait. I'm going to keep the words on the screen if that's okay, keep the music going, but I just want to stay in this connection with Jesus. Just thanked him. Just thank God for all the ways he has been that for us. And I'd just like to invite you now to ask the Holy Spirit to grow this same characteristic in you. Same characteristic that you so appreciate in him, that you've experienced. Ask him to grow that in you. When you've asked him, if you wanted to, if you asked him to grow that in you, then I want to invite you to ask him to bring to mind for you one small way that you might practice this characteristic this week. Ask him to inspire you of one small thing that you can do to begin to practice this characteristic in yourself this week. Thank you, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, for the joy and the privilege of being made in your image. It's nothing we deserve, but it's totally by your grace. Holy Spirit, will you help us to embrace and live out all that you have made us to be, that we may truly grow in our love for each other and for you. you so we're going to draw the service to a close now and I'd invite you um, if you feel comfortable just to turn around to the person that next to you and just say to them what you would like to what characteristic of God you would like to be growing in you this week and what practical thing you might do to help you grow in that